Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. This is Knee Deep in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 150, yay, recorded on May the 11th, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. This episode is an interview that I did with Kurt Bueller from Belgium. Join us for a discussion on data, visuals, and Power BI. And we are joined now by Kurt Bueller. Kurt, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much. Uh, very happy to join. So uh, <laughs> looking forward to discussing and all kinds of things. So, Yeah, so first of all, was that a cat that I heard in the background? Yeah, so she also wants to join. So she feels left out. <laughs> that works. So. That works. Cats are good at data visualization, it turns out. Yeah. So you and I, well, we haven't actually met yet, thanks to this darn pandemic, but we did meet virtually, was it about a half a year ago? Yeah, uh, a little bit longer indeed. So for the uh, uh, Data Minds Connect of last year, yeah. I think the first time was indeed in August. Time flies. It does, it does. So and so you were one of the new speakers at that event and they they saw fit or Benny Benny Diagre saw fit to uh put the two of us together I was your your mentor and and you were you were my my mentee. Yeah, that's true and I'm really thankful for that. So that was a, a really nice experience actually because working with you <laughs> I learned uh, quite a lot about how to set up a story, how to be able to uh, present it in a in a, a way that it makes a lot of sense and that it's really digestible, uh, particularly in the context of a data conference like this, so like data mines. So um, yeah, and it was it was very handy to be able to do that and uh, also to be able to test some of the ideas that I had. And, and such great ideas they they were. You really knocked it out of the park when you you did deliver it. Thanks. Yeah, it was uh, really fun to be able to give that talk. I mean, like you said, with the, the, the pandemic going on, I mean, we kind of got to keep ourselves occupied. And I really just sunk my energy into this, into this talk, uh, and some of the spare time that I had. Um, so it was something that was, yeah, definitely a highlight of, of the second part of last year. So it was a it was a really good time. It was a nice experience. So could you talk a little bit about this session because I'm not sure that all of the the listeners know what makes this session any any different from any other session basically sure um, so indeed the session was to be able to talk a bit about uh, what kinds of things do you need to do in order to design an effective report uh, but it was about more than the design and also about how to really engage with the users in an effective way, in a collaborative way, uh, to be able to really understand what they need and to make something that they're going to use. Um, and so to illustrate these points, I tried to do so with a story uh, and also to combine that with one of my passions, which is tabletop role-playing games. So I collaborated with an artist to have some characters drawn and I built the story around these characters and a fictional business context that I hoped and felt that many people could relate to uh, in order to highlight how the process goes from start to finish. 
and again, what an amazing story it it was. Thanks. Um, I since you're going going to be speaking at the Swedish Power BI user group in in just a few short weeks, I've uh, teased the fact that you do role playing games and that the story is is based on that. And I think we got a lot more people interested by by just saying that. So that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. If you like goblins, there's a lot of goblins. So particularly data goblins. So I think we're all data goblins in one way or another. So and, and that that's a very good point and kind of a segue to a step back. Who are you and what do you do and how did you come to work with data in the way that you do today? Yeah, so uh, I am a data visualization consultant. I work in Ordina and the data-driven unit, um, and I am specialized in Power BI. And though I, my title is data visualization consultant, uh, my interest is, is really, really broad, and I love everything that touches data, particularly in a solution-oriented context. Um, and Power BI is something that is extremely attractive for that reason, because it's such a broad tool. There's so much going on with Power BI and so much that you can do um, when you're thinking about data solutions. Uh, so that's one thing that really got me excited about that. But how I got into data and BI is actually, um, I don't have a background in BI per se, but I have a background in biomedical science. Um, and one thing I always loved when doing research uh, in the lab was getting the data, analyzing the data and answering questions. So following that scientific method, that scientific process, and it's something that I felt was very similar to the processes that you experience in the data world, in the BI world. And uh, I really kind of just fell in love with that when I when I went for it, when I uh, decided to yeah, apply at Ordina and to to go for this this career switch a little bit. But at the same time, it was kind of much in the same. So do you find any differences between uh, the way data is presented in the scientific community as opposed to the BI community and, and even in the, the data community where you've started to speak? That's a really, really good question. And that's something I think about a lot. There are so many parallels between academic research and particularly in a, in a kind of data-minded way, in, a, in an analytical way and uh, business intelligence or, or data in a more, you know, corporate or industrial con context, let's say. Um, so, but at the same time, there are so many things that are fundamentally different. So one of the things that I think are most different is the existence of data warehousing on the BI side, which is something that, you know, in science, you don't typically deal with, you know, a data warehouse or you don't have per se a, a data lake because you're not uh, streaming with data that's coming in every day. Uh, typically, when you do an experiment, it's a one-off. Uh, you do it, of course, you have your, your replicates and you do it multiple times maybe, but um, you're not having to manage those kind of volumes of data than you typically do in a company. Um, so it's something that's you know unique to BI in that way. Whereas on the other direction in science, uh, the handling of the data uh, from a perspective of you, you design the experiment, you conduct the experiment. So you are, in fact, participating in the creation of the data. Uh, that's something then that's unique to science. The data happens as a result of actions that you take 
uh, either explicitly or implicitly. Um, whereas, you know, that does happen a little bit in, in BI with IoT data, um, but it's it's not something that's so prevalent or so common. And in fact, everything else, everything else that happens there in between uh, is very, very similar or sometimes exactly the same. Did you find, so when we we started uh, working as a mentor and mentee, um, did you find that the way I was looking at presenting data differed from how you came into the whole idea of, of presenting the data at the the conference yeah that's that's a good uh, that's a good question because indeed I was used to presenting in an academic context uh, before I presented at um, you know a few smaller talks in uh, uh, some smaller bi conferences but uh, so I'd never really presented at something like like data minds connect and that's why we work together as mentor and mentee. Um, but being able to have the story be that much more engaging, that was a really big difference. So if, that it was really a, about that engagement with the audience and about being able to, to carry the attention of the audience all the way through um, and to really feel the impact of certain key moments. And that impact is key to driving the message home. Uh, that was one of the biggest takeaways I got from us working together. And, you know, I, oddly enough, if I look back to the times I presented in an academic way, I probably would have had more effective presentations if I did that there as well. It's just a difference in, in culture, so it's not common. So coming back to your earlier question, actually, I feel like science could learn so much from BI, really. Um, and, and this is maybe one concrete example, presenting presenting in conferences and how to really hit that message home. And, and that also brings me to another question that is kind of contentious. You've been to a few conferences, be it virtual or, or in person, right? But how do you find the, the way that people generally present technical uh, concepts, be it BI, be it anything else do yeah. you find that people are using stories or are they more gravitating towards deep tech and kind of in a way more academic approach to to teaching or, or um, talking uh, that's a good question so i think you know i i have a small sample size to work with i guess since i've attended not too too many um, but from what i can see uh, there's definitely a trend toward people telling more you know some kind of story but it tends to differ in the sense that uh, the story only goes so far and then the demo starts. And uh, that's kind of like something new beginning almost. Um, so, and I think something that of course happens everywhere is, is we're all experts in our craft and it can then be difficult to be able to relay the message in um, you know, a simplified way that, that could be easy for someone to understand outside of our expertise. So, um, these are the kind of things that you that you do see. Um, so, but in general, it seems like most people are trending toward a, a storytelling approach of uh, presenting. Yeah, I I would agree. And when I started speaking, what was it, five or six years ago? It, I I wish I shouldn't say that it was unheard of, but it was very uh, rare that somebody actually created an overarching story. Sure, people tell small stories or, or bring up analogies, which is a very, very short story. But the whole idea of, of creating 
a story and stacking all your points on that story, that has become, thankfully, more, uh, more prevalent. But that also brings out the question, what makes a good story? And now I'm asking not only the, the visualization consultant, but also the game master, Kurt. <laughs> uh, so, of course, story is about people. And, and ironically, so is creating reports. So, and, and that's kind of why it, I felt like it was, it was so nice to present it in that way. Um, because a good story is really about understanding the main character, empathizing with them, being able to relate to them on some level, knowing what are their needs, their pains, these kind of things. Um, and, and that's also something that you need to do if you want to design an effective report. You need to have that same understanding of your users, actually. They are your main characters in your own little data story. Um, so it's important to to kind of have that connection. And if that connection's not there, then it might not be such a good or successful story. So And that that point that stories are about people, that is everything turns out to be about people. I, I yeah. used to say that I make data matter and that I work with data. But I've come to realize that, yes, I work with data, but not for the sake of the data. I work with people to help them understand the data that they have or that they're looking at. So yeah. everything comes back to to data. And when it comes to um, the, um, the main character, have you read uh, the book Resonate? Present Vicious Stories That Transform Audiences by Nancy Duarte. I haven't, no. Oh, then, then I can highly recommend it. It's a fantastic book geared exactly to, to creating presentations that will create impact and, and move people to action. And she specifically writes that the, the main protagonist of any story, of any uh, presentation, is not the presenter. It is the audience. Yeah. And putting the audience in the shoes of the protagonist is, is key to making basically the whole thing feel uh, useful and, and meaningful to the audience. I think that makes sense, especially, you know, if the goal is for your audience to really remember some of the messages that you're trying to convey, or if you're just arguing for an approach that you feel, you know, is an effective approach, being able to put them in that kind of a concrete context, a personal context helps remember that, or in the sense of, you know, uh, developing an opinion about it to be able to really think about it in a different way, in a critical way and relate to it so that after the talk, uh, uh, an interesting discussion might happen uh, in order to, you know, maybe think about ways to carry that story forward beyond that talk. So, which is always interesting. So would you say that your, your stories or your addition to, um, of stories to to data has that changed in any way the way you present data to your customers working at ordina uh i mean i'd, I'd like to think so um i want to when i'm presenting something to a customer it's really important that i first feel like i understand their point of view and and not just understand it but really empathize with it so that i can really see it from their perspective and understand the the scope of pains that they might have and what that really means on a, on a practical level. Um, and to really understand not only, you know, what are your pains, what are your needs, what are the requirements, but what do you really do and how would data or a data solution 
fit into that in order to help you be more effective or just, yeah, more successful overall. And, and that's really the goal, the kind of thing that I, I want to convey. Um, part of that is hard to prepare, of course, if, if you're kind of meeting a customer for the first time, um, which is always why it's kind of nice. This story is kind of a continuously evolving thing. Um, so usually then after talking and, and better understanding, maybe a bit of you know pre-sales research, you could then present that story from your perspective and have them validate it. Um, so something like that, some approach like that. So when you came into um, RD&I, I'm, I'm thinking that you went straight from, you did a PhD, right? Uh, yeah, I did a PhD and it was actually, it's, a, it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm on a work visa in Belgium. So I'm based in Belgium and I'm originally from Canada um, and I moved to Belgium nine years ago. And, and during my PhD, I was on a specific visa. And, and the important thing was that um, if I was to switch from my PhD to, uh, once I finished it, to, to an employer, that there couldn't be any day in between. So I really had a kind of hard time limit to be able to figure that out and, and to make sure that I you know, had an employer and that I had an employer that would, would sponsor my residence in Belgium, basically, uh, which is you know a very stressful thing, just the whole immigration process. Um, but yeah, thankfully, a few months before I started at Ordina, um, you know, they were able to do a lot to help me with uh, that process and to arrange that and everything. And indeed, I went directly from one day at the PhD in the lab, you know, doing my thing there to the next day uh, in the consultancy, uh, learning about Azure for the first time. And that's something that that really is blows my mind when I think about how much I've learned in the last two and a half years uh, is is really unfathomable it's it's a huge amount of information that is just absorbed um so yeah it's it's been nice and and having someone with a phd in bioinformatics saying that it it definitely drives home the fact that we're dealing with an insane amount of information every day i i jokingly say that whatever you do do not go on vacation if you're working with with anything related to cloud or, or Power BI, because when yeah. you go back, well, everything is going to be obsolete. Yeah. And that is just half uh, um, a joke, because it is difficult to keep up. Yeah. How do you view this, and how do you keep up without losing whatever sanity you have left? That's a good question, and that's something I think about quite a bit, because um, I think a lot of people have a similar feeling and might relate to this, the idea of things are moving so fast and you kind of have an idea like you're running behind it and you need to keep pace because at some point you kind of feel like you're tripping on your own pant legs, you know? Um, but I think a lot of that feeling is created by our own internal monologue and our own anxieties. Um, but the reality is, is you really, you can't know everything. So, and you might be behind on some things, but pragmatically speaking, when you need to, you can catch up. So for me, actually, the thing that has been most helpful is engaging with the community, um, just even passively. Like when I first started and I was just, you know, timidly following people on Twitter and uh, just, just reading a lot of what people say and you pick up so much and someone might say something and it's something small 
And then you just like, what's that? And you Google it and you check out some other person's blog and it just leads you down this tangent uh, of knowledge. And I think, I mean, for me, that's been the most uh, effective way to, to learn actually is from the community. So that is fantastic. That's, that's why we're here basically. Uh, there, there's a saying that, um, as a new pilot, you are handed a pretty big pile of luck, but you don't have any experience. And the trick is to fill up the experience before you end out of luck. Hmm. And I've, I've tried to apply that to technology in a way that in the beginning, you are handed a, a fairly big pile of, of technical knowledge of a product, but you might not know so much about concepts. Yeah. But as you age and, and you work with whatever thing you're working with, your, 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 um, your idea of the concept gets bigger. And suddenly the specific application and the specific implementation does not mean so much anymore. And suddenly you realize that you can keep up just as long as you don't try to keep up on every little teeny tiny detail coming out of Power BI or Azure or whatever seems to be the fad of the day. What's your view on, on that? I agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. First of all, I love the, uh, the analogy of the, the running, you know, fill up experience before you run out of luck. Uh, that's something I can really feel, you know? Um, so I, I tend to agree. And I think it's something that is important when you're learning something new, especially something like, let's say power BI, something that might be easy to learn, but hard to master in some ways, because you might be able to get to a point where you feel confident in the things that you're doing. Um, but you might be blissfully unaware of everything that's happening underneath it. So it's very important to be honest with yourself and kind of every so often just pause and critically appraise that DAX statement or that, that power query or um, that model and just ask yourself, like, is this really okay? Is this good? Is this, you know, not in a self-doubting way, but in just an interested way, you know, how could I make this better? And that's a way that you can take these little incremental steps to, to, to get better and better. That's at least how I approached it. Um, now, one thing, if I, if I might backtrack, maybe one step, perhaps one thing that I'm, you know, when we talk about how this, this is moving so fast and we're, we're trying to keep up. And even for us as experts, it's difficult. One thing that I think about a lot and that I sometimes worry about is if it's so hard for us and we're really, you know, knee deep in it, <laughs> just moving through it as, as we do, how difficult is it then for the lay person who just kind of accidentally fell into the sea of data and they're being swept away by these currents, you know, it's, it's, it must be so overwhelming for someone who ha doesn't have a background or doesn't know, didn't have the opportunities to really understand data in that way someone on the business side who suddenly is just kind of dealing with reports and uh, visualizations they've never thought about before, or they're just handed Power BI and their manager tells them to make something. Or even when you look at the whole COVID situation and how that data is presented and handled, you know, people are looking at uh, exponential curves every day these days. So um, yeah, it's, it's something that I think about a lot. Some, something that I worry about that it's, it's moving faster at, than the average rate at which the average person can keep up. So I, I totally agree. And, um, my wife is, is a, a teacher and she looks at the whole tech community with 
almost disdain because she just realized, well, there's no way that any sane person could keep up with all this. Yeah. Why are you still trying to make everything different every minute of the day? And in a way, I totally get where she's coming from. And it kind of made me think about another thing as well. When it comes to, you you ask, how how does it feel for the layperson? And by the way, that has to be a perfect setup for a session adrift on the sea of data. Yeah, um, definitely. I, I, I want to see that in, in Clonk's world, by the way. <laughs> it's actually been on my radar. The whole idea of data literacy, it, This I really am passionate about this idea of data literacy, visual literacy, and how important that is to just function in day-to-day -day life. Like how you really need that. Like we as a society, if you look at everything that's going on with um, the coronavirus and the vaccines and your opinions on that hinges on your ability to critically appraise information data. And so it's, it's such a crucial topic and it's unfortunately something that, that a huge proportion of the population doesn't have the opportunity to, to learn about. And it's, 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 it's so far away. Just, just the first steps are so far away that what's the incentive or, or what's the first step that they would really take. And, and that's where I feel that, you know, we as data professionals with, by giving talks, by telling stories, can pull people out of that sea onto a boat and take them on this journey and like show to them the things that are available to us are sails that can carry us to new lands. Like that's the image that I really want people to feel. I don't want people to feel like they're drowning and, and, I think that's that's an important uh, concept nowadays. It is definitely an important concept, and I'm I'm I've been thinking about um, th there's this interesting disconnect when you have old people that would be people in my age that need to reskill. Say that you've been doing one yeah. thing that your whole life, and, and suddenly you need to reskill and go into IT, for instance. Why is it so hard for them to do so? People immediately gravitate towards, well, plasticity of the brain, you have your, your set ways, it is difficult to learn new things. I am arguing that that is just part of it. Another part is what you just said about the whole being lost at, at a sea of data, because the more you know about anything, the more you know about a lot of things, and the more you realize that you do not know. Yeah. And someone coming out of, of the university or, or well, maybe not a university at all, just from high school going into data or, or IT in general, they they have a much narrower viewpoint. They do not know what they don't know. They're basically the the uh, um, the validation of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the Dunning-Kruger effect is something that's that's of course, you know, in in every topic relevant. Um, and it's just, I think, it's something that that you also kind of need to keep in mind that, that when you're discussing, you know, certain topics with people where that discussion is hinging on facts on hinging on data, that it, it's, it's not somebody's fault if they're ignorant, you know, as long as it's not willful, intentional ignorance, I think, you know, it's, it's, they're just ignorant. They just don't know. Um, and for a lot of people, they just, that's because of a, a difference in experience or a difference in opportunity, like you say, you know, someone who's who's forced to reskill or asked to reskill. Um, maybe a question for you, because the, when you bring up that topic, it's quite interesting. That's something that I think is particularly relevant when we're all doing homework 
with uh, the coronavirus. But do you feel like that's an even more important topic nowadays, or that's something that you know really needs to be addressed almost? I I do um, because we are not getting younger. The speed of innovation is not getting slower, yeah. and with especially in in the coronavirus times, we've we've been shown the hard way that yes, you can for the most part work from home and you can do a lot of things over teams or zoom or whatever but just because you can doesn't mean you probably should in every every way i'm sure that we will be doing a lot more work from home as the world kind of resettles in its own in in, in its new track but i also vehemently believe that we need to meet the 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 human meeting the human interaction is absolute key not only for for business but for welfare we we need yeah. to talk to other people and then meet other people to to stay sane yeah no i agree for, i perfectly agree with that statement um i mean you really feel that impact um of not having to meet someone face to face and of course it's been out of necessity to to have the the social distance but I'm at least thankful that for so many people that, that we could continue to keep on keeping on in, in using the you know digital ways of doing the homework and being able to facilitate productivity from a distance. Um, but I, I do look forward to that first workshop where I'm drawing on a whiteboard instead of using PowerPoint paint or whatever have you. Um, just really seeing these small behavioral cues of people uh, and and using that as energy or using that as information to yeah drive that discussion i think that's essential and that's something i miss so i i always say that my my weapon of choice is a whiteboard and yes i can draw on a virtual whiteboard but it's not anywhere near the same thing as just just being able to hand the uh the pen to somebody else and have them draw on my drawing and take the discussion further that is yeah, that, that is just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, indeed, you're right. And I think that that's in a lot of ways like a bit of a like a metaphor when you do that, when you go from illustrating some concepts, some ideas, drawing on the whiteboard to really having someone who has an idea, has a thought and handing over that control to them and, and giving them the pen and letting them steer and illustrate their thoughts in a way that's, you know, can be highlighted to the entire group. So, yeah. Definitely. That's true collaboration. Yeah. And that's something and, that you really need to do when, uh, you know, building not just reports, but I think data solutions in general. So just one of those words that are so easy to say, but so difficult to actually do. And I want to come back to that because one other thing when it comes to the Dunning-Kruger effect and Power BI particularly, what I find is that you have in Power BI, uh, some distinct categories of, of people. Few people do all of the steps in Power BI. There, there are a yeah. few. I'm one of them. Uh, but that also means that I'm way worse at a lot of the different parts that, that people are, who are specialized in them uh, are. But yeah. you have the data engineering side, and yeah. you have the data set creation side, and you have the visual side. Yeah, You're predominantly in the visual uh, part of Power BI, kind of the, the tip of the iceberg. How much 
would you say that you know about data engineering and how much do you know that you do not know about data engineering when it comes to creating um, ETL flows, data quality, the data model, God knows what? Yeah, that's a, that's it's always interesting to think about. And it's something that I try to ask myself as well. Um, so I am technically, I, I mean, supposed to be, I guess, more in the visualization side. But in fact, if I could be honest, like the last eight months or so, I've been much more on, you know, the data modeling side, let's say. And, and I actually extract a lot of satisfaction out of that. Like there's nothing better than optimizing the model and seeing that impact on query times, on page load times, um, or just going through and, and using these, these fantastic tools that are developed by the community, like DAX Studio, uh, to be able to test out some new things in DAX and see your query times go down because of, you know, some best practices that are being shared by other people, um, or in these, these books that are, uh, available. That's, that's something that's really rewarding. Um, I just try to, to remind myself, I try to be open to new ways of doing things. And I try to, um, I try to have things come across my radar. Uh, but I, I do, I am aware that there are certain areas that I'll never really touch. So that I, I just, you know, it's not so much in my domain. Um, like, for example, I don't do backend development, uh, just because I, I haven't. Um, so I don't know a lot about that. And what I just try to do when I'm in that context is to just be aware of the fact that, you know, I don't know a lot about this topic and to not be afraid to ask questions, even if I'm afraid that it will sound silly if I ask, you know, hey, you know, what is what is this specific thing? And it might be something that everyone else in the room knows or that I think everybody knows, but you just got to ask and, and that's how you learn. So. And it's funny you should say that because I'm struggling with, um, a phenomenon that is, I, I, I don't think it's new, but it's it's starting to crop up more and more, especially on on my radar. That people uh, today, which might be a generalization, but bear with me, they are not so much interested in the the background to something. Take, for yeah. instance, data modeling. I had a conversation with um, someone just the other day that asked me, "What is a star schema?" And why should I care? And this person has been doing uh, Power BI uh, work for years, and they just didn't know what a star schema was. They they do a data model that is decent, but they do so based on a hunch. This is what it feels it should look like, and they they hadn't even realized that there was a formalized way of doing um, data warehousing uh, modeling. And so what I'm I'm going at is people are finding an issue. Then they are going to the community to find an answer to that issue. When they have it, they are gone again. They leave. Yeah. And this means two things. One is if you're not asking the right question, you're going to come home with the wrong answer. And the other part is where is the giving back to the community in that approach? And how can yeah. we change the way that people look at for lack of a better word, the basics, the important glue that keeps all the small bits and pieces together. That's that's such a good point. Um, particularly the latter, when you talk about giving back to the community, because it's it's not like it's an obligation per se, but it's it's something that keeps it alive. I mean, it's a life cycle. 
Um, and it's something I try to be cognizant of the fact that there are so many people who are so generous with their time and knowledge to share everything from some little trick to full worked out solutions and to write a blog post about it. Um, and I know when I started in Power BI, like that's how I learned. I learned at the beginning through just consuming this community content. Um, and then after a while, once my knowledge reached a certain level, I was able to experiment myself with personal data sets, et cetera, uh, which could you know carry it forward. But after a time, that's what really kind of drove me to be interested in, in being a part of the community um, because I, I wanted to contribute, but I always felt like, you know, what, what would I have to contribute? Like, I always had this feeling like I don't have anything good. So it, it took a long time. And I feel like that's something that actually holds a lot of people back and is a big reason why people kind of bow out. I mean, it's certainly not the reason. Of course, a lot of people just want an answer and then they want to move on with their day. Um, but yeah, I, I felt... It was. It felt like the community. It was. It's kind of hard to, you know, penetrate that and to be a part of that. It's. It's something that you can watch as an outsider if you just follow the, you know, a bunch of people on Twitter, and and you. But after a while, you do kind of feel like an outsider. You know what I mean? And it's. It's hard to, you know, just step in and say like, hey, I'd, I'd like to join this discussion too. You know, not that that's just the way it goes. You know, so I think that might be why, um, a lot of people kind of stay silent, or at least that's why I did in the beginning. So this kind of a glass wall that people on the inside don't even realize is there. Yeah, it's indeed. I th I mean, I don't think it's it's not like it's created intentionally, of course. It's just the way it is. It's the way that, you know, grouping is, particularly in the age of social media and online interaction. Um, you don't have a an icebreaker necessarily to be able to meet these people or to to engage, particularly if, if you, you read all of these incredible things that people share and then you reflect back and you kind of like, ah, but how, how would I contribute to that? And it kind of creates this psychological barrier. Um, and that's something that, you know, with Data Minds Connect with presenting, that's really just jumping over that barrier. That's just grabbing a ladder and throwing it on the side and being like, you know what? Like, here I go. <laughs> so I think presenting is a really good in to be able to do that, to hop over that that wall that's kind of subconsciously or implicitly there. So, Yeah, that, that's a good point. And then it turns out that not everybody is a presenter, but everybody has a voice. And I think that is something that we need to, to really um, bring forward. Everybody has a voice. And yeah. just because you've done something and I've done the same thing. We are not going to be talking about that in the same same way. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that that's, that's the nice thing is um, if you see someone who has worked out some kind of a solution, they write a blog post about it, and then three or four months later, someone adds some little thing on top of that. And, and that's really where innovation comes from, right, is these little iterative improvements. And so you kind of have almost this... <laughs> Uh, organic think tank uh, just because people love what they do uh, and that's that's such a nice thing about these communities about being a part of that um, so it's yeah it's it's something that's that's really neat uh, but it is important to you know realize that indeed there are people who don't have a voice or there are people who are just kind of silently watching on the boundary and you don't you don't notice these people unless you look for them 
you know, I don't think I was necessarily one of those people, but I, I could definitely understand that that's the case, you know? Yeah. And, and I, for my sake, I remember vividly walking around the halls at the pass summit. Unfortunately, that's uh that's a, a now defunct conference, but I was walking and felt like I was at a zoo because everywhere I looked, I saw these amazing bloggers, the, the MVPs, the, these giants of the community that I've been following for years. And here they were in the flesh, but I didn't dare talk to them. I mean, why would anybody want to talk to me? And the way that I was introduced to the community was basically because a friend of mine, uh, Katrina Wilhelmsen, one of the, the um, data platform MVPs in Norway, she physically grabbed me, which is a pretty interesting task considering that she's 150 centimeters tall. She grabbed me and she threw me at one of the, the big names in the Power BI community. And from there, it kind of spiraled. So just just getting this this ladder, as you said, this, this leg up and getting in there is so, so important and difficult, especially if you're not, if you don't realize that there are people looking in, but not finding finding a way to get in. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's when we talk continuing with the ladder analogy, it's something like I didn't find data mines, you know, on my own necessarily. It was actually Benny and, uh, and Jan, um, who are the ones who, who pointed me toward data mines. And they said, Hey, you know, present something. You know, I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what I would present. And they're like, just, just present something, just present something. They're just standing there next to this ladder. And they're like, Kurt, the ladder's right here. You just have to climb up the ladder. And uh, yeah, so having people who do that, who really, you know, not necessarily push you, but but they they challenge your, your boundaries and uh, they, you know, offer these opportunities or at least expose them. I think that's how you can grow these communities and particularly how you can grow them in new directions so that there's a more diverse inclusion of different people who represent different perspectives um, which is something that of course is really important yeah because everything is as we said in the beginning it's all about people and people are by definition diverse and thus what we work with all the data will be diverse and have much more impact and, and value because of it yeah one of the things i've i've wanted to do um speaking of you know people in different groups is to just take like a, you know, a talk about data in a, in a BI context or like a BI talk and present it totally outside of the BI environment, like present it in um, some research institute for neurotechnology or something or, or neuroscience or whatever, just, you know, to, to a lay audience, let's say, um, first to, you know, be able to communicate this thing and some of these ideas. And second, also, I think it's interesting to challenge yourself to see if you can explain it in such a way that a lay audience might understand it. Um, I think that could be interesting. It, it could indeed. And I mean, so many times that I've had a frustrating discussion with junior colleagues that all say, well, there are so many things we can do with Power BI. What does the customer want? And I said, you're asking the wrong question because the customer doesn't even know what can be done. They've spent a lifetime in Excel. Of course, everything is going to look like a table. Yeah. It's like when C++ is your hammer, everything looks like a thumb. And <laughs> yeah. when Excel is your hammer, everything will be a table. 
And of course, that's the way they are looking at the world. So just finding a way to, as you said in the beginning, emphasize with your, your customer, realizing what, what are their pains and also what are they not saying? That's even more important than that, what they are saying. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, it's like, just like you say, I mean, I think some of the most important messages are between the words that are said almost. So being able to see as someone sharing their screen, how much they're struggling with just selecting the right filter criteria or the performance, you know, even though they're not explicitly mentioning it, you just see it and you see that it's something that's making it ineffective or you see that you know they have to dig through tables and tables and tables just to find something that in fact should be called out at the top of the page um, these are the kind of things that you can take away from those experiences and and put in a concrete way into a report or you know the data solution that can be very helpful totally so this was one of the longest 30 minute um, interviews i've done we're now at 44 minutes and funnily enough, Simon and I, we never managed to, to stay within the allotted time. And apparently that is also applicable to, to interviews. This was a fantastic talk. I'm so happy that you um, decided to come on and Thanks. I would love to continue this conversation at a future date as well. Yeah, for sure. No, it was really nice. And I appreciate the opportunity to, to come and talk. Um, I was quite nervous in the beginning, I have to say, because it's, uh, I feel privileged to be able to come here and have this discussion. And it's something that I'm thankful for. So I still think back to that time when we were first, you know, introduced in that mentor mentee context. Um, I rolled a natural 20 there, I guess. So <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again and have a fantastic rest of your evening. Thanks. Likewise. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Knee Deep in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Abitzon and Simon Binder. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at kneedeepintech.com.